Hey all, before we get started on today's episode, I have been working on putting together a statement to give to the courts um, regarding the sentencing for my abusers, and I just wanted to read through it because I think it's a really great representation of all that I've been through and um, where I'm trying to come out of all of this, so... I know this is called a victim's impact statement, but I hate that word. I am not a victim. I am a survivor. Someone who endured something both physically and psychologically damaging, both in the acts committed and in the process of getting justice for not just myself, but all the other women who have dealt with similar situations and couldn't, either because of legal or mental barriers, face those who had harmed them in such a way. I have had to work through so much in the last year to feel as healed as I do now, and it came at a cost. I lost myself, I feared others, my home, and felt worthless for a long time. The statement asked me to list any physical, psychological, or emotional harm or trauma you suffered. That list would take too long, far too long in total, so I will just sum it up like this. For weeks after, I had to stare at the bruises that covered my body, the bald spot from where the hair was ripped from my head, and the hollowness in my eyes. Each a reminder, not just of what had happened, but how much I hated myself for letting this happen. How much I hated you for doing it, and even worse, not showing any remorse. How much I felt unsafe everywhere I went, especially in my own home. I questioned my every decision and struggled with intimacy, and I don't just mean sex. I wouldn't let anyone touch my head or hair for months for the images that would come flooding back. and wondered if anybody would ever be able to love someone so broken. Someone who woke up in the middle of the night from flashbacks, who was diagnosed with PTSD, and even tried to kill herself. My one act of taking back my own control and power over my life. Since then, I have worked hard to become a better version of myself. But those traumas will forever leave scars on me. Even the court process felt like a re-victimization all over again, having to explain very dark events to a court of strangers, having photos of private areas sent across giant screens, while having to stare my abuser in the face, while I feel like I am the one on trial, not him. But I stood there and took it because I won't let another person go through what I did. And despite what happened to me, I have finally remembered that there are good people in this world who aren't just looking to hurt and use others. And that is who I am. The survivor who, despite the physical and psychological trauma, is willing to stand up against the abusers. That's my love letter to myself and to all the other survivors out there. I love you. Hey, y'all. Thanks so much for listening in today to the Confident Mompreneur Podcast, the podcast by real women for real women, where we talk about real-life difficulties and triumphs as women, moms, business owners, and more. Thanks so much for being a part of our Confident Tribe. Let's get into it.
thank you everybody so much for being here today. We have got a little bit of a special episode going on, one that you guys have all been asking for. Most of you know I kind of went ghost for a while, a year, year and a half or so. Um, I had a lot of you guys reach out during that time, so thank you to those who reached out to check on me. Um, but we're back, we're better than ever, and we have a special guest with me here today to kind of help talk about myself because I'm not so great at that. Um, so everybody welcome my mom. I wanted to kind of segue into a little bit of what launched us into the same place at the same time uh, quicker than we had all anticipated because we were we, we were really trying to navigate this and how fast, you know, we were having phone conversations at the time um, and really trying to let you lead some of that. But but obviously I wanted to see you, but we knew we were going to head that way in a month or something like that. And so asked if we could see you and um, our little grandson at that point in time and stuff and, and kind of had that set up, but we had kind of a situation that really launched us together. And like Kiri alluded to, um, timing wise, it was so important at this point in time that we were back a part of your life. So I don't know how you want to set the stage here. Well, so obviously I had been separated um, for a while from my ex-spouse. Um, and I decided to try and get back into the dating game, um, which is so different <laughs> than when I was dating, you know, in high school. Um, I had only ever really dated my ex-spouse because I got married when I was still 18. Um, so it was a whole new thing. Um, but of course, now 90% of dating is through dating apps. So um, I had, you know, gone out on a few dates with some people and started some conversations with other people, etc. Um, and I ended up matching with a guy on Tinder um, who was a professional jujitsu fighter out of Denver. Um, I made plans to go on a date with this person. He came to my house and assaulted me and it was very very bad <laughs> um physically mentally all of the things um and I think it should probably be noted my dad was a police officer he just retired <laughs> um but he was a police officer for a lot of years and was still one at that time um so uh after everything had happened I went to the hospital um and had a rape kit done and talked to detectives and they came through my house and gathered everything up and did all of the things. Um, and so I called my dad the next morning and said, hey, this is what happened. Um, what else could I be doing from a cop's perspective? Like, what? 
did I do everything right? What what more can I do to kind of make this happen? Um, so that instantly sped things along very, very quickly <laughs> because um, it had ha happened in my home, which made me very, very afraid to be at home, especially by myself or, you know, just me and my kid. Um, and so my parents came and stayed with me for a while <laughs> after. So what was that like for you? Huh. I mean, as a mom, that's so, so hard. It's our job to protect our children from all the bad and ugly in the world. And we had been distanced from her for so long. But all I knew as I needed to go hold my baby. Like that's all I knew, but we were still trying to navigate this weird situation. And um, my husband and I had talked and I was like, I feel like I need to go, but I don't wanna step on her toes. I don't wanna push her into something before she's ready. Like, I don't know how to do this. Like, and um, he said, okay, well, here's my days off are here and I can take extra days off here over the weekend. Like, just you figure out how to talk to her and, and see if it's okay if we come. Cause all I knew is I just needed to hold my baby. Like, that's what I knew in my heart. And so I called you back and I was like, okay, like, if it's okay with you, we would like to come and here's our options. And all I heard was mom sooner rather than later. And that's all I needed. That <laughs> literally was all I needed. Okay, sooner rather than later, we can be there in, I think it was two days we could get there. Yeah. Um, we, it was such a bittersweet moment because it was the first time we got to see you in years. Um, and yet it, we were there to deal with the very real situation that had happened in your life, you know, and to witness the bruises that stemmed from the assault, um, to witness what it feels like to be in a house that you've been assaulted in, you know? And um, I remember you waking up the next morning after we were there and you going, that's the first night I've slept good because I knew my dad was laying by the door and I knew he was armed, <laughs> you know? <laughs> you knew that about your dad. He's law enforcement for over 20 years. Like this is how it works. And to know that we could provide that comfort for you and, and start into a problem solving mode. And so it wasn't exactly the way we imagined we would rebuild the relationship with you by any means. But I also think you knew in that moment that your parent didn't stop loving you during that three years. Yeah. And 
that they would have done anything for you in that moment. And I hope that that's what you you got from that experience, you know. And I think we should probably go more into kind of what happened there and what that's been like over the last year. Because <laughs> um, we're still going through that <laughs> situation. Right. So. Right. Well, and and just the effects. And um, I mean, we knew right away that we needed to do certain things. We needed to get you safe in your own home. Um, so there were things like putting a deadbolt on the door, getting alarm system in your house, which that took us a few months, but um uh just things that we needed to do to make you safer. We also bought some logistical things at that time because what little you had had been kind of stripped in the search or in the detectives coming and getting evidence and things like that. So we were kind of dealing with a lot of logistics right off the bat. Um, the the physical things that needed to be taken care of right off the bat. But um, we also knew that we needed to work you towards getting a therapist, uh, but we wanted you to be at the right therapist. And um, so we were trying to get you into uh, one that specialized in trauma. And mom being a little uh, naive or I don't know, just not really realizing, I guess, um, I was highly focused on the assault and what it and the effects that it had that that really short term event and how much it had impacted you. And so I knew the importance of getting you to a therapist and stuff. But again, we were working through some systems. We we were working through some victims advocacy and things like that to to make these some of these things happen. Um, but I I underestimated because um you you had you I don't know the adjustment to divorce seemed like it was really going well I I underestimated the impact of the long-term um problems that that you were experiencing emotional distress that you were still experiencing that stemmed from this relationship of which I knew in my head had mental emotional abuse to it but it was easy to um, because you were like we are you compartmentalize a little bit yeah. and okay compartmentalize probably a lot and yeah. so you have these moments where you're really, really well, I'm really functioning well, and then moments that maybe are not. And, and so that compartmentalization is where I lost track of how how much you had been impacted by the long-term event as well as the short-term event. Yeah. Well, and I I think one of those things was like, 
I was in a flight or fight mode for basically eight years. Um, and so when I came out of that, all of a sudden I had zero emotional regulation for myself because I hadn't been regulating my emotions. I'd been regulating somebody else's emotions for such a long time that I had forgotten how to take care of myself. Um, so yeah, there was definitely a lot of, um, the long-term impacts. And then all of a sudden on top of those long-term impacts, we had this big, huge short-term thing happened too um so it was like all of a sudden I was just piled on with all of this stuff that had happened um and we we kind of mentioned it before but before we had reconnected I had also had a cancer scare um and had to go through surgery and things like that too so there was like by yourself <laughs> yeah it was just like one thing after the other after the other um and then some financial impact that came stemmed from the divorce, the surgery, the uh, just everything, everything, life in general, as yeah. a single mom. Yeah. So there was just so much being piled on me all at once. Um, and I I do do a really good job of holding myself together <laughs> when I need to, but the moment I'm like by myself and can like kind of let go of that you know emotional mask that I tend to put on uh I would break down so even when I was like right after um the assault happened uh so so what they typically do during that is um well I I went straight to the hospital um and had them check me out because there was a lot of um physical violence that occurred with it as well um so I went straight to the hospital had them check me out they called the cops um the cops came through and interviewed me just shortly to kind of get the base of what had happened um so that they could be able to come into my house and take evidence and you know, do everything like that. Um, but then they also give you basically two days. It's 48 hours um, to kind of process everything that had happened so that you can come back and actually give them a more full explanation of things. And from what um, we've kind of discovered, that's actually a science-based thing that 48 hours is what they should give after a trauma occurs. For you to be able to at least in some part be able to put together the story more fully than you would right after the things happen which that's one of those things that um a lot of people who haven't gone through that severe trauma don't realize is like your brain puts up these mental shields around what's going on and so sometimes that can make timeline fuzzy um it can make details fuzzy um and then in other parts uh it can make things very very <sighs> highlighted in your mind like you'll enhanced. remember enhanced yeah you'll remember one specific um you know sentence that they said and exactly where they were and how they said it and all of that stuff but then the rest of it could be completely blurry so um 
they did give me 48 hours and then luckily by then my parents were there my dad being the cop got with the detective on my case and they were buddy buddy right away which was great <laughs> but um going through that second interview I was at that place where I was just angry there was no sadness it was just anger about what was going on um and you know uh one of the things was that they wanted to take some secondary pictures of the bruising and other things across my body um you know to be able to show the time lapse of right after it happened to two days after um and so they brought in a female officer to take those pictures and she was like you know we can take this as slow as you want um and I have to say all of the detectives I worked with um the officers I worked with the nurses I worked with everybody was incredible um throughout this which I mean unfortunately most women aren't that lucky um also most women don't feel comfortable even reporting it so um the fact that you know I felt comfortable in reporting it and had a great team was amazing um but I just I told the officer I was like I will do whatever it takes to get this monster off the streets basically even if that comes at the detriment of my mental health, I, I will do it. Um, Cause I'm, I'm definitely one of those people that what happened to me happened to me and I will deal with it in my own way, my own time, but I didn't want it to happen to anybody else. And we feel like the way it happened was like, this is not his first time. Like the planned out kind of situation not his first rodeo that he has done this yeah no it was so violent and so well thought out or orchestrated yeah right we're still going through the court process <laughs> we got at least most of it done um so we actually went to court um about a month ago now a little over a month ago now and it lasted five days and they were long and hard hard days so do you want to tell them a little bit about like what the court process has been like for us going through all of it well first of all almost exactly a year <laughs> to get to that point right it was a year, two days ago. Yep. So um, it's definitely a long process. I, I don't know if COVID has affected that or if it's always that long, but it's a long process. Um, we, we started with, well, he wasn't arrested for probably oh, three or four weeks that's mm -hmm. what I was thinking about four weeks um when they caught up to him and arrested him and it was nice because he's obviously very narcissistic um and just totally believed he got away with it um because he is here on a visa and so he um uh 
we're lucky that he didn't skip the country or anything like that. Um, I, he, I'm pretty sure he just had no idea he didn't get away with it. Yeah. Um, is kind of where that boiled get down to. So, um, Curie again, quick thinking helped get him located where he was, um, because he had a few names. And so what he was using on Tinder wasn't exactly his name. So there were some inconsistencies there, but, uh, bless social media in some aspects because she was able to investigate it a little bit herself and get boiled down to where he was. They got the warrant processed and they hooked him up and extradited him to Wyoming. Uh, he did try to fight extradition um, and, on, and was, you know, messing around with needing a translator for everything, da-da-da-da-da. So I think that created some delays in there as well. Um, and then they did a couple of bond hearings. Uh, the first bond hearing uh, went well. Um, it was, unfortunately, though, the first time Kiri got to hear the other lawyer argue because he did hire a lawyer. He didn't have a DA. Um, and so... Uh, she got to hear what the lawyer's situation was going to be like. And really, in most of these cases, uh, when there's a lot of he said, she said, although uh, there was a lot of evidence to the contrary, but it's still rape cases are generally considered he said, she said. Um, really, uh, it boils down to either the victim wanted it or um the victim's a liar and that's that's really was kind of her first experience with that we're definitely grateful to um some of the victim's advocates though they were there for her and helped kind of talk her talk about that situation a little bit so it didn't feel maybe as personal it probably still felt very personal but uh you can kind of put it where it belongs that it isn't personal it's just what they they have no other real arguments for that mm -hmm. um and the judge was uh gratefully saw the violence in the acts and said, no, we consider this person to be a flight risk. And and the act was violent enough that the bond was set at $100,000. Um, then there was a second bond hearing, um, which we realized that he's sleazier than we even thought. Um, because all of a sudden a wife from the country that he is from come out of the woodwork to argue in behalf of him for that bond hearing that it needed to be re reduced. Luckily, I think it just pissed all of us off worse that he had a wife, including the judge. Um, and that one went our way as well. So he sat in jail. Um, I really expected that he would try to flea bargain 
way before he did, but I think a lot of that had to do with the narcissism. And so I think the lawyer was wanting or telling him that he should take a plea, but he didn't want to. And finally, about December, uh, towards the end of December, which was only about a month, month and a half before his, before the actual trial date was set, um, we got notification of a plea that was just beyond ridiculous and he wouldn't accept any less than that. Um, and so I think uh, uh, we were just all like, no, not gonna happen. Thank heavens the prosecutor, uh, the prosecuting attorneys were on the same line we were and um, saying, no, that's that's not enough for what happened here. So it did end up going to trial. Yeah, it did. And one thing I have to say about these cases is, you know, it is always the he said, she said. So unfortunately, in a lot of these cases, it doesn't even get brought to trial. And if it does, we were we rarely win. So. I mean, it was definitely scary for me thinking that we were going to go to trial, but I was also grateful for the prosecuting team um, that they weren't willing to accept, you know, the plea bargain that he had put out there because it it was atrocious. Um, it, it wouldn't have been a win in any way if we had taken it, in my opinion. So I was glad that they, you know, stood up for me as the victim and, you know, just said that we're not going to do that. Um, and then it, mom and I have had this discussion that trial and going through all of this is so weird because it's so many people talking about you but you're not actually really involved in it all that much. <laughs> right. Because it's right. not me Basically versus the, him, it's the state versus him. Correct, correct. So it's about you, but really you're not the person bringing him to trial. You know, it's not you. So, um, and, you know, the the justice system my husband and i have often talked especially with his job in law enforcement that there's the spirit of the law and then there's the letter of the law and we know that the spirit of the reason why our justice system is set up the way it is is that you ultimately do not want to have somebody who's innocent go to go to prison and that's that's really what it boils down to how it plays out logistically though really is is re-victimizing victims unfortunately and yeah. um and so uh you do have to be particularly um, strong and resolute in your decision to do this. Often cases that should have been prosecuted at a very high level have gotten off with slaps on the hand with plea bargaining. Um, and it, it is unfortunate because 
because the victim doesn't want to continue to be re-victimized and to get on a stand in front of all of these strangers and tell them the most intimate details of your life and have photographs of the most intimate parts of your body up for display. Um, uh, and so um, I, I think though, there were so many just right things that happened in this. A, the just right thing of your strength. Like overwhelmingly, none of this could have been done without your strength, period. That had to be first and foremost because they can only do so much without the victim and without the victim being willing to testify and without the victim being willing to do a rape check and without, you know, all of the things that happened that were essentially a re-victimization in and of themselves. Um, uh, the prosecution was phen phenomenal. The detectives were phenomenal and they really did a good job. You know, the crime lab was involved and that was phenomenal. Just to give you a clue, there were 10 witnesses basically on Curie's side here. Um, and that is incredible. Yeah, some of them were just like the intake person at the hospital or whatever. And um, so, you know, they were just kind of witnessing to time frame and things like that. Uh, but really still 10 witnesses was pretty outstanding in my opinion on this. Yeah, I agree. And our, our witnesses were all great um so <laughs> I was the first witness on the sand um which for anybody who's never gone through the court system before it's very different than they show you in tv <laughs> but uh just like all things yeah it it's kind of interesting because you have to walk up to the stand, you know, right in front of the jury and you kind of feel like you're this show pony that's being judged <laughs> with every step that you take, uh, you know, as you're walking up in front of these people and, you know, the people who you might have sitting out in your audience and the judge and then also having to look out and see the person who did it to you sitting right in front of you too. Um so it was very difficult to be up there. Um, and my side did the questioning of me first. Um, so they really allowed me to uh, tell your story, tell my story. It was more of the open ended questions like, tell us what happened after that. And then I could, you know, go into what happened and all of that stuff. Um, so that was good for me to be able to tell my side of what had happened um and then I was supposed to get um questioned by his side and they stopped the trial <laughs> right there which was so weird um and our team said that they had never seen anything like this before his attorney basically said that he needed time to review what I had said and everything which was completely off-putting for me because I was so 
I had mentally like prepared myself to go um, and defend myself against his uh, attorney. Um, and then all of a sudden it was stopped. And so we ended up stopping the trial for that day. And then I had to be the first person on the stand the next day. So it was a two whole day process for me, um, which we we kind of talked about being both a blessing and a curse because it drag, dragged it out and away from me. But um, it also left the jury with what I had said being the last thing that they heard and how impactful my story had been. Um, so I think it did end up working out, but it was definitely difficult during the time. Um, and then... And I do actually... I feel like you were more composed the next morning, even though it felt like it was going to be worse versus in the moment of the emotion yeah. of your story. You know what I mean? Yeah, that is true too. Um, I definitely had that time to like compose myself. Um, and I, I was ready for him the next day because uh, of course, it's being re-victimized all over again. It was like I was the one on trial, you know, up there. Um, I felt like everything about my character and my story all were being torn apart by him or attempting to be torn apart. Um, but honestly, I just stood up there and I stood my ground. And um from what our team said, I mean, I did a really good job of holding myself together up there. Um, just yes or no answers with him. And then my team came back and um, kind of did a rebuttal and let me kind of uh, clarify. clarify some of the things that he had asked and stuff. So it was definitely hard, but it was nice to kind of get all of my stuff done and out of the way so that I could be there for the rest of the trial too. And I, um, I wanted to mention how good, I mean, you had an added benefit of having dad with law enforcement experience to talk to as well, but I was impressed that the prosecution also really prepared you and for that situation that was going to happen and and how to really make the defense attorney not let you take you off on some tangent that would incriminate yourself and things like that and so mm -hmm. I think you were well prepared to really just be yes no yes no and let your team take it up on after um, and to really keep that way that they want to feed you and guide you and lead you down mm -hmm. paths um, to cast out and really keep that under control. And I think you got such a good um, experience to for them to show you how to do that and then talk to dad and he's saying very similar things and how to address those things. And so I think you were well prepared for the situation. Yeah, I agree. It definitely helped having a good team on my side. And I also had a lot of people show up to the courtroom to support me too, which was huge when I was, you know, you know, 
in the middle of all of that, being able to look out and see those friendly faces. So that was really big for me. Um, so yeah, it, and I definitely think uh, maybe his attorney should have done more preparing like they did for me on his side because he did not do so well on that. <laughs> Well, but I think his narcissism played a lot into that. Yeah. I don't know that he was exactly listening to his attorney very well. So yeah, I, I think I think he just I think he thought it was a joke, big joke. And I think he thought he was just gonna get away with it. And because he's used to getting away with it and He's charming and, you know, whatever. And I, I just, I think his narcissism really liked to his undoing there. So. Yeah, it really did. Um, and we, we went through and we got to put all of our people up on the stand. and Everybody on our side did great. His, his attorney, of course, tried to discredit everybody. But um, I think everybody did what they needed to do and, Luckily, I mean, mom brought up, you know, it, it sucks having to put those private and intimate things out there for everybody to hear, everybody to see. One of the things that I was really happy they did um, for me as the victim is that instead of projecting all of my pictures to everybody that was in the courtroom, they had put it on um, some iPads for just the jury to see. And that was really really comforting for me helped yeah maintain a little bit of your dignity in that situation in my opinion yeah which is hard it feels like your dignity is being completely stripped away when you're having to do all of that and say all of that and show everything to everybody that's in there these people that you've never seen that have you know it's very very um difficult that's for sure and I as a victim who's gone through it, I don't blame a single woman who chooses not to put herself through that at all. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So, but um, on their side, they only had one person testify, and it was him. And um, it was hard, but also good I think for me to be there when he he said his part I don't know what I expected if I expected some apology or something like that but he was so narcissistic he basically admitted to exactly what he did in front of the entire court in a very proud manner um and it, it it was so bad to the point that um his own attorney told him to shut up when he was on the stand so <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and um i i just i only got to hear closing arguments from both sides and just felt like the jury was really spot on with the intent of the law. And that is beyond all reasonable doubt, what was consensual, what wasn't, you know. Mm -hmm. And so there were four counts that were kind of in the mix and um, with four different 
acts that happened. Um, and uh, one count, there there was some question for sure, I think, you know, about that count. Um, the rest were like when she got to the second count and that's where a lot of the physical abuse happened. Um, then it just felt like everything else would follow that. And, mm -hmm. and it did. Um, and so I think the, the jury did their job. They deliberated for five hours about yeah. four and a half, four and a half, five hours. Yeah. I think it was a little, yeah, yeah I think it was about five hours because they would have started at eight o'clock that morning and we went, um, course I went and worked out to try and keep my mind off of things um if any of you have been following me on my physical health journey that's one of those big things that um I do to help with my mental health so we had been at the gym when we and we're just leaving when we got the call that um they had come to their conclusion so we drove over and um it was really hard um because they do each single count at a time um the first one came back as not guilty and that was scary for a minute you know really scary um and then the second third and fourth ones came back and they were all guilty um but another thing that you know they do wrong on television is the judge right then and there will tell you how many years they get <laughs> in jail. That's not how it works. Um, okay. So we do actually still have um, sentencing to go. Yep. And that will happen 90 days from the end of court is when we'll find out. Um, but my hope is more than 20 years is what we'll get. So Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, so that kind of talking about that journey, that's more recent where we're where we've landed on that journey. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the impacts, and we were kind of alluding a little bit to mom underestimating i think the mental health impact um from many years of mental emotional abuse um that was going on and we had been working to get uh you into a therapist that specialized in trauma because we didn't want you just with any therapist we wanted you with the right therapist that mm -hmm. was kind of all of our all of our goal, um, but you were having some difficulty getting into that, into the therapist. Um, also, thinking it was a month or two preceding this um, month, maybe a month, month and a half preceding this, um, I remember getting a phone call and this leads into this for a reason that will divulge but um I remember getting a phone call from you and the medical bills were piling up there were some financial things that that um you were really it was just kind of all piling on at that moment um and I just remember you saying to me I know I need to do this 
but I can't like I'm I'm paralyzed I I can't deal with this uh the way I need to deal with that and I know what I need to do but I just can't do it um would you come help and so we we spent that weekend or whatever going and taking care of again some of the physical logistical things that needed to be taken care of at that time but I I I didn't quite see the signs for what they were at that point in time um and um that was a complete emotional mental breakdown that was that was coming around the corner that I didn't realize that that was where that was um, starting to lead us down that path. Um, so do you want to go ahead and talk a little bit about what was going on at that period? Yeah, well, I mean, like we had kind of talked about earlier, I had been through a lot within the last, you know, year, a little less than a year, um, and things had just been piling on, um, you know, short-term, long-term, medical um money it was just everything at that point it felt like you know I had so many weights on my shoulders and I couldn't handle them and at some point it was like my brain was fried and I couldn't move forward I knew what I needed to do but I couldn't do it I was in the state of paralysis I also was having a really hard time eating. Um, I would lay in bed for hours. I work from home most of the time. So I would do what I needed to do. And then I would go and lay in bed the rest of the day. Um, but again, I'm one of those people that I compartmentalize. And I have a really hard time showing that part of me to other people. Um, I would rather just, you know try and deal with it myself, which is not a good way to deal with it, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. Um, don't know where you get those characteristics yeah, from. I don't know. I also have, you know, a dark sense of humor, but I know exactly where you that do. comes from. I'm your dad. <laughs> Completely. 100% your dad. Totally yeah. more of a sense of humor. You have no, no idea. So especially with all the stuff that had been going on and everything, I probably seemed like I was doing okay on the outside, especially with my dark sense of humor, you know, because I would, you know, joke about all of the terrible things that were happening to me and what was going on in my mind. Other people might take it as a joke, but for me, it was kind of joking, but also kind of serious. <laughs> um, so it definitely was one of those things where I wasn't letting people see that side of things and mom and dad I did tell them that like you know at least that financial side I needed some help with things and like they came and they helped but I was already on that downhill slide and couldn't stop it I, I couldn't pull myself up I was just along for the ride at that point um and so some other things happened um and you know it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. That one right. tiny little thing that pushed me over the edge. Um, and honestly, it could have been anything at that point that probably would have right. pushed me. But um, I ended up trying to unalive myself. And that was really, really 
hard <laughs> for everybody. So um, mom got a call and ended up having to call the cops on me. <laughs> Which was really hard. Um, you know, you you are, again, trying to respect your child's privacy and and their adult ability to make decisions, but the stakes were too high on this one for us. Um, and so she she finally got back to me and said, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, call off the cops. Well, luckily the cops were not dissuaded and they went ahead and went out to her. Um, because we do, she was also getting bullied a lot from her ex at this point in time. Um, he was constantly poking, poking, poking at her and bullying her about things. Um, and and that next morning, <laughs> yeah, that next morning was a bullying situation again. And um, I feel like she would have been right back there again. So even though she may have been okay for the night, she wasn't. And so um, I think she was a little irritated with us at first, but the stakes were too high. We just weren't willing to live with the consequences of not acting when we knew that there was something going on serious and we were not willing to not take it seriously when it was serious um yeah and i of course i was right in the middle of a mental breakdown i did not want to leave with these guys i did not want to uh, be that person that said they got to go and stay in the psych ward you know <laughs> grippy sock jails i like to call it um but but they convinced me to go and um it ended up being one of the best things that could have happened to me I think in the long run I really needed it and it was it, it was like a break from everything you know I couldn't have my phone in there so I didn't have the bullying I didn't have social media I didn't have any of that type of stuff um I didn't have to worry about feeding myself because they were feeding me. I didn't have to worry about, you know, um, the bills. They would be there when I got out. It was like, you know, this mental break from just everything. And then also as part of it, you know, they they get you your meds that you need, um, which was a big part of my recovery for me um, and something that I'm still taking. Um, I still take my antidepressants. Um, and it was also, you know, therapy um, and also just being with other people that were in a very similar situation. You know, it was a lot of different things. But um, one of the big things that I got from it was just like tools to use in my tool belt so that next time I felt myself slipping into that place, I could actually get myself out of it this time instead of 
going along for the ride and that was one of the cool things um that they did for me is like my mom and other support people that were there for me we could kind of figure out a timeline of how this happened how I got to that place um what were some of the signs that maybe we all missed beforehand um so it was really big it was. I I absolutely agree. I, I think we all came out of it understanding things a little bit more and and realizing that that month before that paralysis that happened was part of this this devolving that happened here. Um and and hopefully being knowledgeable enough to recognize signs so that we keep you ever from getting to that place again you know Mm -hmm. and I think the other thing that came out of it was also a fast track to the to the trauma therapist that we had been trying to get you into um Mm -hmm. so you came out of there on her client list and ready to go, which was something we had been trying and attempting to get to happen and had just not had a lot of success with it. And so, and that was one of the requirements of my release was that I had to have that set up in order to get out. So that was right. Yeah. So I think it accomplished several things for all of us and um you know there's such a stigma when it comes to things like that um and you know especially in my generation and older there's uh, more stigma than i think exists in your generation with that and so Um, A lot of times as a mom, I've had to find myself saying, this is not about me and my pride. This is about what's best for my kid. And, And it really is that, you know, when you make things about you and your pride, you're often not gonna make the best decision for your children. And, you know, it's not been something I'm perfect at all the time. There are times I have to remind myself that that, that is what it has to be. Um, uh, and that, But I try to remind myself that that is what it is about. It's about really what's best for my child. And, and my pride should not enter the equation. And if it does, I'm likely not making the best decision. Well, and I think that that's definitely shown, especially over the last year as we've rebuilt our relationship is like, I definitely saw that out of you, that you were willing to, you know, step up and, you know, be the person that we needed you to be not necessarily you know the person what my vision of a parent is exactly exactly so yeah it's definitely been um a lot but like I said it um being in that place um really helped and I'm still struggling with my mental health 
especially going through all of the court stuff recently and everything that was very very difficult but it was a win for us that I didn't end up back there because this time I had more of those tools in my belt and I had um more support and all of the things that I needed to be able to work through that myself um and again if you end up in that place that is totally okay too like I said it was one of the best things that happened to me for me I'm just working on trying to be able to do it myself um this time so but it is one of those things I think we should talk about and um I do have a really hard time with talking about things right away until I've had that time to kind of work through them myself and really wrap my own brain around the things that have happened and how I feel about it um but now that I've had that um time to kind of go through everything that I have in the last year and a half I finally decided it was time to kind of share because that's always my thing on this podcast is sharing our stories so that we can learn how to become better people better moms better business owners whatever it is um and creating communities where we understand each other we're not judging each other um we're learning from each other so that is what I want to do here and why I am finally deciding to tell all of my story (laughs) yeah yeah and I wanted to make one more point real quick. Um, what's interesting about that situation with you is you are very smart. Uh, you are very self-aware. Um, you um, you can speak. Yeah, yeah, almost to a fault. I would agree. That which is part of what put you. Put you you there but but still like um you know these things and yet there was still a devolution that um none of us really anticipated or understood that that was what was going on in the moment um and so um and i i feel like you like are aware of the tools in your community. Like, so if it can happen to you, like it can happen to anybody, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, because I feel like generally you have a pretty good self-awareness and, and, and like I said, tools and, and you're smart and you kind of, can speak the language and everything and yet still um with all of that and with support it still happened you know yeah uh i mean it happens to anybody and everybody so it's nothing to be ashamed of at all yeah Well, thank you, Mom, for coming on and helping me share this. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we love you and 
we're excited for where you're at and where you're going and just to watch you develop and and figure out you know do you be you you know so and excited that you use this process <laughs> right right it is for me um excited that you use these things to also help empower others so i am proud of you for sure proud of the woman that you are and that you're continually becoming so well, thank you and you guys need to wait because mom is also going to get her own episode to share her story so watch out for that in a couple of episodes but thank you guys all for being here If you loved this episode, please let us know by submitting a review or sharing with the women in your life. We'll see you next time.